Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. I'm excited today that we're going to be looking at three chapters, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. And today, for the first time, there's three of us that's going to be looking at these chapters. I have Alan and Yoni. Yoni has returned back from a place up north, and he's going to be with us for a few weeks. So we want to take opportunity while he is here to look into God's Word and to really see what God is saying through these chapters. And again, I always emphasize, do not think of the letter being split apart into chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, etc., but look at it as one unit. And we have been going through the first 11 chapters that we designate, and now we're coming into an issue that is going on within the Corinthian church concerning spiritual gifts. Now, as I have ministered the gospel for many years, when you think about the letter of 1 Corinthians, it's always chapters 12, 13, and 14. Normally, that's what people study. But see this as one letter flowing to a congregation of different questions that have come to Paul, different issues, and every issue that is arising is extremely important that we see these issues and understand the principles of God's Word and how Paul, as an apostle, the one that started this church, is guiding them and directing them through the power of God's Spirit that's using him. These are real issues that have developed in the Corinthian church where supernaturally we're seeing gifts that are coming from God, supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, using the believers, edifying the body, and glorifying God, but that's not what's taking place. And we're going to look at these difficulties and try to go through these chapters and see a consistent message that God is saying through Paul to the Corinthian church about the building up of the body, the edification of the body of believers, and the spiritual gifts should operate in that way. So let's start in uh, chapter 12, and let's just start reading. And I'm going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to discuss it, and we're going to move fairly quickly because we're trying to cover these three chapters in one setting. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, when you look at the beginning of this, Paul is making it very clear from the beginning that if we want to understand what represents God, the Spirit of God, It is always uplifting who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. A person can say that from a genuine, honest, sincere heart by the work of God's Spirit within that individual. But a person that is bringing down who Jesus is and saying that he is accursed, this is not from God's Spirit. This is from a demonic spirit. This is the spirit of the world the spirit that doesn't represent God, because everything about God's spirit is to glorify Jesus. Now you say, how can you say that? And I would say go to John chapter 16 and read it this week. Because in John chapter 16, the helper that is to come, that will convict the world concerning sin, judgment, righteousness, it says in that chapter, this spirit of truth Jesus says, and he will glorify me. And if the Spirit of God is not glorifying Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, that is not God's Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. 
And so this is what Paul is saying to remember for them to understand something that's very basic and very clear that he doesn't want them be, to be ignorant concerning the spiritual gifts. In so, the past, they were ignorant. Go ahead. So almost using that as a measuring stick for whether this spiritual gifting or whatever it might be is actually the Holy Spirit. Yes, and I, I take this principle across the board. If there's anything that, any message, anything that's happening that's taking the focus off of Jesus is Lord and His Lordship, the head of the body, the one that our eyes should be upon. And, and every cult and everything that doesn't represent God, it takes the focus off of Him and puts it on to someone else or something else. And this principle here, the Holy Spirit is here for us to understand that Jesus is Lord. He will glorify me, Jesus says in John chapter 16. And so anything that takes my focus off of the Lord, I understand that's not the Holy Spirit working. And in the spiritual gifts as well, anyone that says Jesus is accursed, that is demonic, that is not of God. You can understand it very simple. And here, anyone that says Jesus is Lord, that's the Holy Spirit working within the body. Mm. So it's a good observation. Now, the immediate question that sometimes comes is, what about the book of Acts? There was this demonic slave girl, and I believe it was Acts chapter 16. As Paul was ministering down at the river, she would say, these are servants of the Most High God. And after three days, I believe it was three days, and a lot of times when we're doing this podcast, I want people to understand, we really haven't, we don't have notes in front of us. So you go back and check these kind of things. But in Acts chapter 16 at Philippi, she was saying, these are servants of the Most High God, but she was demon-possessed. Mm -hmm. She had the power to see the future. And people get confused by that. And after three days, I believe it was three days, Paul cast out that demonic spirit. They got sick and tired of it, right? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what could have been happening? Go ahead, Alan. Well, I think that reminds me of the other, the verse 2 in one, one of the Gospels where it says even the demons in hell recognize that, that Jesus, um, you know, is Lord. Mm -hmm. um, not sure how that's worded either, but but that, yeah. So that's kind of that, that was not confusing in a, in a sense, yeah. but that always yeah, come back to that. And it says, well, the demons recognize it, but they don't say it necessarily, mm -hmm. but they know it. It's right. like also I think with Jesus, there's a the story of of one of the demons saying, "You are the Son of God," and and Jesus was like, "Cut that off." Yes, because it was revealing who he was before the time that uh, he. He was going to be revealed, and for me, going through the Gospels, the cross is the ultimate revealing of who he is, of Isaiah 53, and the empty tomb is the justification that who he said he was and mm. what he came to do, that he was the Lamb of God, and he was the Messiah, he was the Christ. So every time that these demonic spirits came up and they shouted things that were true, they were in his presence, and they were shouting truth. I, I think in James, Jacob, the first letter that we went through, even the demons believe that God is one, and they shudder. And I don't know if that was what yeah. you were referring yeah, yeah, yeah. to earlier. So they know the truth, and they know in many ways the final outcome, I believe. Don't take that as doctrine, but they know their time is short, mm -hmm. that God is God, and he's all-powerful yet they still live in an eternal rebellion against God. So this truth that's coming from demonic power sometimes comes out. And in Acts chapter 16, you see this with the demonic slave girl. Now, she could have been mocking them because we don't know the tone. We don't even know if there was sarcasm behind that, but it was interrupting his preaching of the gospel, and after three days, he cast out that demonic spirit. So even what she was saying was true, but we don't know how she was saying it. This context here, he's speaking to believers 
that know the Lord that have come to faith in Christ. And it's a very simple principle. Anyone that's part of your group that comes in that says Jesus is accursed, Mm -hmm. that's not of God. That's demonic. Whether it's the Gnostics later on uh, that denied his deity, denied his humanity, and this man that died on the cross has nothing to do with anything. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, John's going to say that's the spirit of the Antichrist. That's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. I think the same context here to the believers, basic, simple. Jesus is Lord. What brings glory to Jesus and his lordship is of the Holy Spirit, and what doesn't is not of God. And, and, and to just tie this together, I think, um, it's, it's a little subtle, but even, even the spirits that are not of the Lord still recognize Jesus as being Jesus. Yes. You know, there's a subtlety there. It's it's not it's not just oh, you know, they're not going to believe Jesus was real. No, they do. You know, they might even think they might even say he was a son of God, but they're not lifting up him up to lordship. Right. Yes. Yeah. And one it's thing a very just, good point. Yeah. One thing I just thought of while we're doing this, and this kind of clears it up for me. But I look at I look at Jesus as Lord as almost a phrase. You know, so it's like, well, if you mm-hmm. can just say the words Jesus is Lord, I mean, anyone can say that, and you hear a lot of false prophets and teachers and people mention that. Mm-hmm. But to me, you know, and, and Scott, you tell me if, if this is right. But when when you can say Jesus is Lord, meaning Lord of my life, has full authority, full lordship, and as a believer, mean that. You can't say that without the Holy Spirit because when you're saying, Jesus, you are Lord, you're really saying you have full control. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll follow you where you want me to go as Lord of my life. So I guess I guess in my mind as a young Christian, I've, I've looked at it as just saying the phrase sometimes when you read that. But really, Jesus is Lord. If I say that, I really, I really need to mean that, and I can't mean that without the Holy Spirit. Right. I, I would say this. Yes, in essence, that is true. But what we're dealing with is the spiritual gifts here. And we're dealing with prophecy. We're dealing with words of knowledge, words of wisdom. So things that are spoken. Mm-hmm. And so I would see from the original intent is a plain guideline that's given to the Corinthian believers that when someone says Jesus is Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that everything that represents that person is of God. Mm-hmm. But the phrase, Jesus is Lord, the statement, Jesus is Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what represents the Spirit of God, mm-hmm. not the person that says Jesus is accursed. Mm-hmm. Again, in a general understanding of that, of, of a principle, like I said before, anything that is speaking that's taking your eyes off of him, moving you away from him, I start to immediately question, hey, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Because the spirit of truth will glorify Jesus. Mm-hmm. Everything that doesn't represent God tries to move you away from your focus on him. That's in a general sense, but a specific sense, I think he's, ta- he's speaking to them about things that are being spoken within the congregation. Mm. And so let's continue. Um, can one of you read verses 4 through 11? And verse 11 is extremely important here. All right, so verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Now I'm going to emphasize verse 11, but we're going to go back and work through these statements here made by Paul. Something that is so important that everyone should hear that goes against a lot of things that are being taught today. Things that are being taught today, even in the local a congregation that I go to sometimes that I've seen this taught and it really um, upsets me when I hear it is that everyone can prophesy 
So we're going to teach people to prophesy. We're going to teach children to prophesy and young people and have classes on it and these kind of things. And when you look at verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. He is God. So these gifts are distributed by God according to his will. It's not something that we can teach. It's not something that we can give. We even had an individual at our congregation come and say, I will release the spirit of prophecy on you as if he's God. Immediately, there was reaction from so many people in the congregation because they knew that this was not scripturally sound. Only God can distribute the gifts, all these gifts that were mentioned here, and they are distributed according to his will. Not my will, not your will, not my pastor's will, not some prophet that comes in, but according to the will of God. So if someone's listening to this podcast and you don't hear anything else, you better hear that because there's a lot of that going on today within charismatic Pentecostal circles that are not wanting to understand the spiritual gifts from a scriptural perspective and have an understanding of guidance from the scriptures, but it's just kind of a free-for-all. That's a phrase that means anything goes. Mm -hmm. And so Paul is writing against that. No, not everything's acceptable. There is order. There is a way to do things. And first of all, we need to understand that these gifts are distributed according to the will of God, not according to the will of Scott Martin. Mm -hmm. So let's go back and look, starting in verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. This is saying the same thing as we go through. Uh, some people take these and they work out charts and things of that nature. But what is being said here when you look at it, Yoni? What, what do you think? There's one emphasis that he wants them to understand. Hmm. About like a sense the of unity. Unity, yes. The gifts, the same spirit. The variety of ministries, the same Lord the varieties of activities or effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. So there's one God, one Lord, one Spirit that all of these spiritual gifts operate. And that's the essence of what he is saying here. And what we're, as we go through, what the emphasis is many members, but one, one Lord, one Spirit, one God that is working through uh, the same avenue of how God is working. God is one, and we're one body. We're a family, but many members. Mm -hmm. So he's emphasizing this. It's almost like they they all work together for the same goal that God God has to work through. Right. And remember, it has to uplift Jesus as Lord. And then we're going to look at verse 7. That's extremely important. This is the second principle. Outside, it must glorify Jesus. We saw that at the beginning. And then here, this second principle, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common good of who? The body of believers for the edification. So there's one God, one Lord, one Spirit, We look at this, but it's for the edification of the body. So I always say the spiritual gifts must glorify Jesus Christ and it must edify the body of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And if they're not doing that, then we're in a lot of trouble. And so here there must have been some issues of people not actually working and operating by the Spirit of God, but people trying to understand these spiritual gifts and not being able to distinguish what is of God and what is not of God. And so confusion starts taking place. Which is probably equally applicable today. 
<laughs> Everyone's yes. trying to figure out what are the things from God and what are the things not from God and, <laughs> yes. and confusing everything. Right. Been in a lot of services. Uh, one time in the service, you know, 18 messages in tongues and interpretation. And then people speaking over each other. People contradicting each other. And what happens to the body as they come out of that? What was that? What was going on? And then people start to doubt the spiritual gifts, that they're even from God at all. So there is a scriptural understanding. And this is probably what was happening in Corinth. So you say, how could that happen? Well, go back to chapter before, and they were abusing the Lord's Supper. So people that are willing to abuse the Lord's Supper that are even dying because of the sin of not honoring the Lord's Supper in the right way, of course they could be uh, speaking falsely and not being led by the Spirit and attacking each other and abusing these spiritual gifts and even trying to say that they're spiritual gifts. And Paul is saying this is what spiritual gifts, this is how they should operate. They should glorify Jesus as Lord, and they should edify the body of the Messiah. Let's go to verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. My understanding of this is looking at this. There is a word of wisdom that comes to an individual for the body, Wisdom that comes from God, wisdom which is above, not as the world sees things, but wisdom that is flowing, that gives a message to an individual or to the body about what is right for that time. Hmm. The word of knowledge is a information that is given for the body concerning something within the body. So a word of knowledge that they did not know before But now they do know, and they're revealing that to the body of the Messiah. And then the word of wisdom actually gives direction sometimes to the word of knowledge. Hmm. Now, don't take that. Everybody wants definite understanding of things. Give me a definition. Make it very clear. Put it in a book. Put it in systematic theology, and then I can understand it. And what I want us to do is to try to stay away from that. A word of wisdom. What is wisdom? The wisdom that comes from above. The wisdom that comes from God. Things that represent God. That supernaturally. That someone is used in that way by the Spirit of God. For the building up of the body of the Messiah. That's about as basic and general of a definition that you can get. A word of knowledge is probably gaining knowledge about something that most people do not know and everybody interprets that oh i god showed me something about yoni that he's given me that i can tell him and uh and let him know maybe something in the future or something right now that's going on in his life but it could also just be a general understanding a word of knowledge that is spoken to the whole body the whole congregation could could you almost say and again not to say it's exact but um that's almost some type of revelation of something whether that's from the word or something that you didn't know because i guess yeah. I've, I've struggled to differentiate that between prophecy and i think you hear those interchanged a lot someone says oh i have a word of knowledge for you or a word of knowledge for someone right. and it's almost can be a prophetic type thing um, yes and i see a lot of these spiritual gifts people want definite definitions of clarity how is this different from that but i see there see them um, interacting together. Mm -hmm. Now, the word revelation, when you get into systematic theology, you have to be careful with that word. And words are defined by the way that they're used in the context. Uh, Revelation, some people would say we have the revelation of God. And so the right word is illumination Mm -hmm. of what already has been revealed. But I agree if the word revelation is being used in this way, And remember, it's defined by the way it's used in a context. A word of knowledge, yes, is showing something, information given by God through God's Spirit that's bringing clarity or understanding of a certain situation in the body or in an individual's life. 
So I do see it kind of functioning in the same way as prophecy. Mm-hmm. And I see the word of wisdom interacting with prophecy as well. So I don't think you always have to have a clear def- definition. Well, what was this? Prophecy, word of wisdom, or word of knowledge? Mm-hmm. Well, if God is revealing something that you didn't know before, it could be prophecy or it could be a word of knowledge. Maybe it's a mix mix of the yes. two or three. Right. Give you an example. When I was 18 years of age, a lady had a dream the night before that I would be going to my father's office and sharing with him the next day about God calling me to preach, to teach, to be in full-time ministry, however you want to define that. So my dad just took that. She called him in the, on the phone in the morning that Later on that morning, I called my dad and said, I want to come up and see you, and I want to spend some time with him. I drove up there, spent that time, shared with him what God was doing in my heart and how God had called me to preach, and I have known this for a long time, and all of this took place. And only after I shared that did he share about the lady that had the dream (laughs) the night before. Is that a word of knowledge, word of wisdom? Was it a prophecy? Was it a dream? Now the interpretation of the dream. I, I share that for, <laughs> for people to understand. Probably was a dream that was given that was giving a word of knowledge to her. And my father, having this, had wisdom to not tell me in advance, but to see if it was confirmed. And after it was confirmed, he said, I want you to know you're going in the right direction because this is what happened and this is God working in your life. Wow. You define it however you want to. You have to be careful sometimes of having clear-cut definitions for everything. All I know is that God confirmed this in my life supernaturally through a spiritual gift that was working in this lady. And this lady has prayed for me for years. You know, there was a special bond because of how God used her in that moment. Very cool. (laughs) So let's continue. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Don't we come to God by His grace through faith? I believe this is talking about a supernatural faith to believe God and to walk in the things of God. That, yes, all of us have faith. But this is a spiritual gift that not everyone has, that someone has faith. When everyone's down, someone else is able to pick everyone up and say, hey, this is what we are doing. This is God working in our lives. And we are going to walk and trust God in everything within our lives. And there's a supernatural spiritual gift within the body that not everybody has. But God distributes it according to his will on certain individuals. The same spirit. And to another, gifts of healing. Plural, gifts. And how do you understand that? It's not the gift of healing, but the gifts of healing. Plural, by one spirit. That some people are used in gifts of healing. And God has their hand upon their lives that supernaturally in healing that these gifts are in operation. And I like I like going back to what, what you talked about with wisdom and knowledge and all of that. You know, and you see faith there kind of right before healing. So, you know, that's kind of can be, you can have two of those at the same time or they're almost can be, you know, working together where yes. every this person's just, you know, on their whatever, last, last leg and no one else in the room thinks they're going to make it, but somebody in there rises up with them you know what, this right. person can be healed, and, and I believe God can do it. And they go in there and, you know, pray, and, and it can kind of be that, yeah. That yeah, you can see those gifts operating working together. together, yeah. Yes. Mm. And to another, the affecting or the activity of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. So the activities are the affecting of miracles. So how are miracles distinguished from healings, from the gifts of healing? Mm-hmm. Again, you see interaction of these spiritual gifts because of it overlapping. Because if someone's healed physically, then that's a miracle of God. Mm-hmm. So maybe the miracles are really speaking about 
beyond just physical healings, that the miracles that can come in any direction, that someone looks at it and say, only God could do this. Yeah, I think just example I think of that is you hear about a, I forget the, who was transported and then was, was somewhere else that could have never happened anywhere in the New Testament. I forget what apostle mm-hmm. that happened to. Yeah, yeah that was a miracle. Ethiopian. I yeah, yeah, that was, was. Philip. Philip. Yeah, that yeah. was a miracle that yeah. wasn't a healing, but it was just a supernatural, that type of miracle that happened. Yeah, Philip, this man that was a deacon in the church in Jerusalem, how God was using him. And then, yeah, he found himself in a different place. And uh, that was something that God was doing through his life. And so miracles, I would see as more broader than just uh, miracles of healings Mm -hmm. that we can look at. And to another prophecy. Prophecy is extremely serious in the Word of God, that when you prophesy, you must say, thus saith the Lord. And what you prophesy must come true. And we see prophets in the Old Covenant, and we see prophets in the New Covenant. And we see how serious prophecy is. And prophecy is going to be dealt with in chapter 14 as well. And tongues and interpretation of tongues is going to be dealt with. And there could have been an overemphasis of speaking in tongues in the Corinthian church. And we're going to get to that when we get to chapter 14. But it's mentioned as one of the spiritual gifts. So prophecy, the word in the Hebrew is seer. And what that means is that God gives them something that they see in the future. They prophesy that this will take place. And what they prophesy must come true. That's very clear from a scriptural understanding. If it doesn't come true in the Old Covenant, they were understood as a false prophet and they were to be killed. And so it's very serious. The whole context of prophecy is extremely serious. But these prophets prophesied by the power of God's Spirit that came upon them. And when they said, thus saith the Lord, it was very serious. And there were not a lot of prophets in the Bible. That's one thing I want to emphasize. Old Covenant, New Covenant, there were not a lot of prophets. So when you see people that come in and say, we can teach you how to prophesy so the whole church can uh, be prophets and to prophesy, what they're doing is that they're teaching them gimmicks and tricks of how to take what they're seeing in their mind and just start saying them. And most of it doesn't make sense and not any of it can be held they can be held accountable for what they're saying. So it's not prophecy at all. It's just kind of mysticism that starts taking place. Because prophecy, you see the writing prophets. There's not many of them. You see those that were not writing prophets, but they were prophets like Elijah and Elisha. You see uh, Nathan and, and God, God in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You see Agabus. You see the daughters of Philip that were prophetesses. You see Deborah that was a prophetess in the Old Covenant. Uh, You see Zacharias in the New Covenant. You see different individuals. John the Baptist was considered a prophet. Jesus was a prophet. He was prophet, priest, and king. Matthew chapter 24. He's prophesying of what's going to take place in the future that I believe was revealing Daniel chapter 9. So you see prophecy is very, very serious business, but it's not, it's not a context that everybody in Israel was a prophet. Not everyone in Judah was a prophet. They were very few, and in the New Covenant, there were very few. You see Agabus, you see some others, you see at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. So Uh, In the number of those five that were mentioned in Antioch, some of them were considered prophets. That's one thing that I just want to make clear. Prophecy is serious. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Someone must speak in the name of the Lord. They must be used by God. They must be very clear. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And what they prophesy must come true. Amen? Amen. Okay. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. 
And most people understand this as discernment. I like the distinguishing of spirits. Most people say, well, I have the gift of discernment. Discernment usually is something that we can do that we kind of look at someone and say, oh, I'm discerning that that person is not, something's not quite right there. But a person with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is distinguishing of spirits. This individual does not represent the Holy Spirit. They represent some other spirit. And I have been amazed through the years, believers within congregations, to have a person come in and to see them just move a congregation in a certain direction. And there's always people in that congregation looking at it and saying, this guy is not of God. Don't listen to him. That is a gift to the body of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And while others are getting led astray by this individual, and sometimes it's not a lot of bad things that they're saying, but most people that are in the body that are preaching and teaching, out of ten messages, eight of them will be really good. But it's that one or two that really starts to reveal what spirit is behind this individual. And there is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the distinguishing of spirits. That's not the Holy Spirit. And there are times that God gives that gift to an individual and they say, listen, guys, this is not God's spirit. This does not represent the Holy Spirit. Don't listen to this individual. And I know the two of you have seen times. Every congregation goes through that because there are wolves in sheep's clothing that we need to identify they're not sheep they're wolves and there's a spirit behind what they are doing and through the years God uses individuals to say stop don't listen to this individual and uh, so just want to point that out any thoughts about the distinguishing of spirits I think I think that's I like how you put that as a gift that that believers have because that's you know, one of the, the tactics of the enemy using God's word. The devil tried to do that with Jesus when he tempted him mm-hmm. in the desert and brought his word and said, well, the Bible says this. And you see a lot of these false teachers mm-hmm. or people come into congregations. And like you said, they'll start with great message and, and they'll saying these things. But then once they get once they get down to what they're really about, there's always a falsehood in there. And as, and as close as you can get it to the truth, if it's 95% there, but that other 5% is way off, that's still the wrong spirit. Right. And I think people that in a bad way are successful at that, at blinding people, the real wolves that come in, they're about 95% there on a lot of things. And they say a lot of things that may sound good, may feel good to you, etc. But there's that spirit behind it, that, yeah. that 5% that's the devil that's coming mm-hmm. in trying to either divide the body to take away believers you know, from, from the faith or to come in and just cause division and dissensions. I've never thought about it, but really listening to someone that would say that, because that could be the, the gift of a Holy Spirit from someone saying, hey, this person is wrong. The Spirit has revealed this to me, and, and I can discern that, and maybe you just are caught up in it or something, but God has revealed it to this person. So be you know being mindful to listen to someone that says, you know what, I don't feel right about Alan Gooden coming in here and, and preaching this. Something's <laughs> off with him. And, you know, and if someone says that, you really pray about it and pay attention to that because that could be a gifting that, you know, like you said, he willed to give Scott Martin to tell Yoni, you know, about Alan. Or Time will show very clearly if that person does have the gift of distinguishing of spirits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to uh, trust people on that. You have to trust, and you also have to see if what they're saying is correct. Mm. So just like in prophecy, if you have the gift of distinguishing of spirits, time will show if that person really is being used in this gift. I liked where you brought up the temptation of Yeshua because Satan quotes Psalm 91 in context Mm -hmm. about God's protection over you and if you belong to him. But he says, but it is written some translate that as understanding it is also written scripture interprets scripture that you shall not put the lord your god to the test jesus 
knowing the word is the word of God, understood the trickery of what Satan was trying to do. Quoting scripture within context of the security of the one that puts their trust in God, but yet not consider that it is also written. It is written here, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So for him to test his heavenly father, that you must do this to prove your word is true, would have been breaking scripture. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Some of this distinguishing of spirits, someone can come and they can preach and have the right message, but you understand they're going down the wrong direction with the message, and you see that this person doesn't truly represent God, and you go to people, to the body, and say, there's something that's not right here. Let's be careful. Yeah. I might even say though it's not always a 100 zero kind of thing like it's not always like a defining line because it's like peter there's a time when he was rebuking jesus for saying he would go to the cross and jesus had to say get behind me satan so there's like a distinguishing like hey peter that's that's not the spirit of god speaking that was satan he yeah. said get behind me satan yes yeah. and maybe even with other preachers you know they they preach a great message out of the spirit of god but then maybe one day they come and they have succumbed to the spirit of fear and now they're preaching out of the spirit of fear. Well, let's go back because you bring up a really good point. The natural reaction of Peter there in John chapter, I believe it's John chapter 6, is a reaction to Jesus talking about going to Jerusalem and what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. The natural reaction was a fleshly reaction. No, you will not go. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter didn't really understand he was actually coming against the plan of God there. Mm -hmm. Only till later did he really understand a lot of this. Yeah. And after the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the believers, do they really get this understanding of what it was all about? His death, his resurrection, the infilling of God's Spirit upon the believers, which was a fulfillment of the prophet Joel and moving in that direction. But at that time, we look at it, he had made one of the greatest confessions that you'll ever hear in John chapter 6. Because Jesus had just said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you, have, you will have no part in the kingdom or part of my kingdom. I don't know the exact wording there, but after he said this, many of his disciples withdrew and did not follow him anymore. Then he says to the 12, he says to them, now what about you? And Peter says, we have nowhere else to go, but we have come to know that you have the words of eternal life and you are the Holy One of Israel or of God there. Peter is making one of these great confessions and saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> How do we eat of your flesh and drink of your blood? And he was talking about the spirit, not a literal understanding. But Peter didn't understand that. But he says, we put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. We have nowhere else to go. You are the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. After that is when he tries to keep Jesus from going to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. You see, so in the same time frame, he's battling there. And what he was confessing was something that was coming from God. He understood that Jesus was of God. Going back and forth, here in 1 Corinthians, let's come back to this context. Distinguishing of spirits is the Spirit of God must glorify Jesus Christ, and it must be for the common good. It must edify the body of the Messiah. And the distinguishing of spirits will do that. If God is using that individual, it will come against someone that's leading the people away from him, which is tearing apart the body and not building the body together. Sometimes people don't recognize it, but God will give a gift to an individual that says this person is not speaking by the power of God's Spirit. Mm -hmm. And then that brings us to tongues and interpretation of tongues. Wow, we could spend an hour just on this. There are three times specifically that we see people speaking in other tongues in the book of Acts. 
By the time that this letter is written, the book of Acts has not been written. But many of these, the first two times, have already taken place. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. But also it could have happened in Acts chapter 8. Later in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, we have another time in which these men took water baptism and when they came out of the water, they began speaking in other tongues. There is this understanding of God giving a spiritual gift that they're speaking in a language that they do not know and they're glorifying God. We see that in Acts chapter 2. The great debate is this. Is this a regular language or this is an unknown language that can be a heavenly language as well? The only time that we know for sure is in Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, the 120 that were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues, the 120 were from Galilee. They recognized them as Galileans. And then all the Jews that had come from the Roman Empire from around the world into Jerusalem, they heard them praising God in their languages and didn't understand how they could praise God in their language, these Galileans. So they were unknown to the speaker, but known to the listener in Acts chapter 2. That's the only time that we know for sure. Acts chapter 10, they heard them speaking in other tongues. And the Jews that came from Jerusalem, how could they deny them water baptism because they received the Spirit of God just like they received in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, it doesn't say that they spoke in other tongues, but Simon the sorcerer saw when Peter and John laid hands on them that they received the Holy Spirit. He was willing to pay money to have that type of power, and he got a strong rebuke from them concerning that. I, I personally believe, even though it's not mentioned, they probably, the Samaritans, began speaking in other tongues as well. One other time in Acts chapter 19, when these men, Jewish men, only knew about John's baptism. They didn't know about Jesus' baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance that should lead them to the Messiah. And so when they were explaining the scriptures and and they took water's baptism. The baptism of repentance is to lead us to the Messiah. It's not enough just to repent of sin. You must have the forgiveness of sins and identify with Christ. And when they took water baptism, I think there was 12 of them, when they came up out of the water, they began speaking in other languages, other tongues. All right, so there's a background of this. And by the time Corinthians has been written, we have Acts chapter 2 that's taken place, Acts chapter 8, and Acts chapter 10 has already taken place. Acts chapter 19 has not. Acts chapter 19, I really feel, is distinguishing. It's not enough to have John's baptism and receive God's Spirit. You have to, to identify with Christ, with the Messiah. And when they came up out of the water, they were speaking in other tongues. Hmm. So you have this background, but now you have the Corinthian church and these spiritual gifts, and some of the people start speaking in, in other tongues. Hmm. And Paul recognizes that as a spiritual gift. Hmm. Okay, so just hold that thought there, and then there's the interpretation of these languages or tongues. Which I think is interesting, because I've been in some circles where they feel like, the only type of tongues that's really legitimate tongues was the tongues that happened in Acts 2, where the listener was understanding it in their native tongue. Um, so, so it was a language that listeners could hear. So, so some people take it to be tongues just means you're speaking in a different language that somebody else is actually able to understand in their own tongue. But it's interesting because here in this exact same verse, it's distinguishing speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues as if they were, it was necessary at certain times to actually yes. have an interpretation. And in Acts chapter 2, this is extremely important. The Galileans, the language that they were glorifying God was not in a language that they had ever understood, known, or studied. Mm -hmm. It was an unknown tongue, but to the hearers, they were hearing them glorifying God in their tongues because they had come from different parts of the world, the Roman mm -hmm. Empire. 
So it is a supernatural gift that they begin to praise God in an unknown tongue. An actual language. Yes. Well, in Acts chapter 2. Now we're going to get to Acts chapter 13. And I believe it's an actual language. Mm -hmm. And people are, are a lot of debate between what they call babbling and actually speaking in tongues, speaking in languages that they do not know. And we'll get to that as we move through these chapters. Yeah, I was just going to say, Paul hits on this a little bit where he talks about he prays in tongues to edify and edify himself. And, and, and he says it here, I pray in tongues more than you all, mm-hmm. you know, speaking to the whole Corinthian church, which mm-hmm. seems right. to imply he does it quite a bit because they were just, he had to correct them to say, don't do it so much the entire <laughs> church. So, right. so if he's and saying, true. I do it more than you all, you know, he's, he's praying in, in tongues. Right. You know, quite a lot. And that's another mention that when we get to chapter 14 that Paul had this gift. But how does that gift operate within the body properly? And that's what we're going to get to in chapter 14. Now, the last verse here, we started with it, but let's read it again in verse 11. And some people are going to be a little bit disappointed in how we're looking at these spiritual gifts because they want more details. What we're saying is we're understanding it as we're flowing in the principles that are here. And sometimes it's not good biblical study when you try to give too much clarification and too much definition. But what is important, there is one Spirit, one Lord, one God. And later we're going to understand we're one family, one body, many members. And verse 11 is an important principle but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So these gifts will be given to the body according to the will of God. Not our will, not anybody else's will. I cannot release the spiritual gifts upon anybody. I cannot give the spiritual gifts to anyone. I cannot teach people to flow into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I really cannot. I can teach people the importance of prayer and surrendering their lives to God, surrendering everything to the Lord, but I cannot teach people how to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit because they are distributed according to the will of God. God knows what he's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And so let's stop there in verse 11. This is going to be one uh, taping that we're going to do. It may end up being two hours long. I I don't know. But we're going to start in verse 11, and then we'll pick up here in a few minutes. God bless you all. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com. And connect with us on Instagram at Integrity underscore Global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.